0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Let's pray. King Jesus, uh, we honor you as the King of glory, one who invites us to come to find rest for our souls, that in you we lack nothing, we have everything we need. You long to lead us to green pastures, to still waters, that we might be restored and revived, and we would pray that our next few minutes together would lead us to just that. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you have been waiting for it. There's been a little bit of buildup, maybe not just a little bit, there's been a lot of buildup, and on Friday, it finally happened. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You can now. From your wrist, check text messages, make appointments, make phone calls. Uh, The Apple Watch, if you don't know, came out on Friday, and praise be to God, now you don't have to reach all the way into your pocket, because we all know how convenient that is. To get your phone out, you can now do it all from your wrist. Wow. 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 Now, here's the funny thing about it. I was um, thinking about this, and then I went to Apple's website. I watched the video, and I went, i got to have one. Uh, uh, because it is a lot of work to reach all the way into my pocket to send a text message. And I would love to just tell Siri from my wrist to make me appointments and to do all sorts of things. I do need that now that you mention it, Apple. Thank you very much. I thought my life was complete, and now I'm aware. Far from The truth. Have you ever thought about how much technology shapes our lives? My guess is when when they were first coming up with the internet and, and the idea of sending emails, I bet people thought in their mind, we are going to get so much more accomplished. We're going to be so less busied and less hurried because we're going to save so much time. I can remember I can remember when I got my first cell phone in 2004, a little flip phone from Verizon. And I can remember thinking when I got this phone, this is going to free up hours in my day. I'm going to be able to make phone calls when I'm uh, driving in my car. I'm going to be able to set appointments. I'm going to be able to do all sorts of things. I'm going to be so unbusied and unhurried and unburdened, Praise the Lord. In 1983, June of 1983, Time Magazine's uh, cover article was entitled, Stress, Seeking Cures for Modern Anxiety. 22 years later, uh, how do you think we're doing? In this article, in 1983, 55% of people surveyed said, my life is is a little bit stressed out. Now, when they did the same survey in 2011, well over 80% of Americans said, I'm greatly stressed out. Isn't that weird? Because we're saving all this time with emails and text messages and Siri setting appointments for it. Isn't it? I mean, it's so strange that this technology saves us so much time, and yet we're busied, we're burdened, we're more hurried than we've ever been, and it seems like Frankenstein's monster has turned on us a little bit. What do we, what do, we do with that? Do you know that 75 to 90% of doctor visits are associated with stress-induced illness? So, so if we could find a way to get unburdened and unhurried and take life in a little bit more of the rhythm that God designed us for, um, maybe, just maybe, we'd feel a little better. I, I mean, not that we'd just be enjoying life a little bit more, but, but our physical bodies would say back to us, thank you. I wasn't designed to be checking text messages and making appointments at midnight and having my phone on my dresser where it buzzes at me and in the middle of the night wakes me up. Or have you ever had this happen when you're walking along and you have a phantom buzz in your pocket? Where it's like your leg is so used to your phone buzzing. I see a few nods. It's not just me. Thank you. Um, uh, Your phone is so so used to your phone buzzing in your pocket that it happens when it's not even there. Can we all agree we have issues? I'm glad it's not just me. Sometimes it feels like our world is just out of control, doesn't it? I was in California a few weekends ago, and um, I, I forgot what it was like to drive on Southern California freeways, where it's everybody is in a hurry. Everybody is in a hurry. I mean, have you stopped to recognize that the pace of our life continues to increase and our expectations are more and faster and better year over year? And you wonder, what is this doing to ourselves? Our our pace of life is insane. The products that we have that serve us seem to be owning us a little bit, don't they? The fact that we have an electronic tether with us at all points in time that we thought was going to make life better and less hurried and us more connected and more productive. We might be more productive, but we're far more burdened than we've ever been. Is the trade-off really worth it? I don't know about you, but I have this insatiable desire for more in my soul, for better, for faster, And I think I buy the lie that that will actually bring me rest. I love the way that Henry Nouwen puts it in his great book, The Way of the Heart. He says this, in general, we're very busy people. We have many meetings to attend, visits to make, services to lead. He's talking about pastors, but this applies to everybody, really. Our calendars are filled with appointments, our days and weeks filled with engagements, and our years filled with plans and projects. There's seldom a period in which we do not know what to do, and we move through life in such a distracted way, catch this, that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we think, say, or do are actually worth thinking, saying, or doing. Can you relate? Here's what I'd love to sort of put out there for you to think about as we look at the way of Jesus this morning and the way that he turns uh, the, the predominant way of thought on its head. Here, here's what he's going to propose to us this morning, is that life's burdens, that burden of more, that burden of pain, that burden of hopelessness and, and despair and anxiety, are actually released through Sabbath, not through striving. And I think we've gotten this wrong for a long time, and it haunts us. It gives us that sort of hamster-on-a-wheel feel in our soul, doesn't it? That we have to produce a little bit more, that we have to do a little bit better. I love keeping track of, like, when I go on a run, I'm the guy that times every recreational run just to make sure that the next time I run, I'm a little bit faster. And if I know I'm on a good pace, I might coast into home just so that I can beat it a little easier next time. (laughs) And I don't know if it's working for us, friends. I don't know if more is actually more. And if faster is actually better. And if yes is actually yes, I think maybe the way of Jesus is that no is the new yes, that no is the new yes, that peace for our soul comes not through toil but through trust, that it comes not through working more and doing better and constantly improving but that that it actually comes by the way of rest, not work. And the technology that we have and the pace of life that we have makes this so countercultural. I want to propose to you, though, this morning that it is the way of life. Uh, really quick, I want to make a distinction, though, between rest and laziness. My type A personality has to put this out there. That there's, a, there's a big difference between rest and laziness. The Bible's going to command rest and condemn laziness. The, the sluggard in the book of Proverbs is often um, the epitome of this is not the way that we should live our lives. See, laziness is being idle, but rest, on the contrary, is not passive. It's actually an active engagement in doing nothing. There's a difference. Laziness is wasting time. But rest, on the other hand, is investing time. Laziness is simply passing time. When you're sitting on the couch watching television, you are not resting, are you? Have you ever done that for a whole day, got done with it, and thought, wow, I feel great? Wonderful. I feel recharged. No one has. No one has. No, we get done. We watch a a full day of Netflix and think, what did I do with my day? I just wasted it and I feel worse than I did before. But rest is different. Rest is not just passing the time like laziness is. Rest is actually stopping the time to become aware of all that God is up to and all that God is doing. There is a way to slow down your life, friend. There is a way to get to the end of your life and go, it didn't just all pass me by. There's this saying that I heard that I I long to see it shape my parenting more and more, but I heard a parent say, an older parent say, the days uh, fly by, uh, no, the days drag on and the years fly by. Is that true? The days drag on and the years fly by. How do we get out of this existence. Well, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to begin with um, one story. I'm going to go to three different accounts in the scriptures today. So this is a very different style for me. It's not, we're not going to be camped out in one passage, but we're going to do in in many ways um, a a brief survey of what the scriptures teach about this idea that life's burdens are released through Sabbath, not through striving. And the first narrative I want to invite you into is the narrative of creation. And listen to the way Genesis chapter 2 invites us into this rhythm. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it, what's the word? Holy, set apart, different. He made it holy because on it God rested from all of the work that he had done. Now, this passage has puzzled me for as long as I've been studying the scriptures. My question is, God What in the world are you tired from? Uh, Does God get tired? The the, the psalmist says he neither slumbers nor sleeps, but he does rest. What does the author of Genesis mean by this? What does this creation narrative invite us into? What does it invite us to know about God? Simply that he takes some time and says, all right, time out. I don't think that's all that's going on here. In fact, uh, in, uh, uh, John Walton wrote a book uh, recently called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And here's what he says in The Lost World of Genesis 1. His proposal is this, that anybody in the ancient world reading this narrative account of creation would recognize what the author is saying about God. He would say any, any building um, in stages or days the, the, of six days, he would say, well, what this quote-unquote God is doing is building a temple. That's what he would say. And when God builds this temple, uh, other gods would, would place their image inside of this temple after they were done, and, and then that, that image would signify that they were going to dwell within this temple. Temple. and he says, John Walton proposes, that in Genesis chapter 2, when we see that God takes a break and he rests, it's not about God stepping away from his creation and saying, that's it, I'm done with it. It's actually a way of him saying, I'm in it, and I'm abiding within it. I am still at work. I am still present. I am still active, and I'm here. Really interesting. Really interesting. He says he basically made a temple. The temple is the entire earth. He places his image in it. That's you and I, right? We are stamped with the image of God. And it's not that God put his feet up to rest. It's um, as though the president enters the Oval Office and sits in the Oval Office. It does not mean that he does nothing. Please hold your political comments there. It means that he rules, It means that he guides. It means that he instructs. And this original Sabbath was not so much about the lack of work that Adam and Eve were invited to embrace. It was a disposition of the soul to recognize that even when they don't, God is still at work. This is what rest and Sabbath do. They reshape our mind. Rest releases us of this, the insanity of the burden that we often carry because in it we recognize that God is at work even when we are not. That God is at work even when we are not. I have the tendency to think that God is at work when I am. Anyone with me? That that relationships are healed when I invest and when I work. That people come to Jesus when I pull up my bootstraps and I get to work for God as if he's sort of back in the lazy boy chair sipping lemonade until I show up. Completely untrue. Untrue. I sense that God is at work when I am at work in my job, in my parenting, in relationships. And here's what rests the, the intentional disposition of our soul to say, pause on the craziness of life, actually opens up our eyes a little bit to see this, this is my father's world. This isn't, this isn't my world God has not abdicated his throne. He is not off in a distance, off somewhere, but he is deeply engaged and present within his creation. The idea of rest and Sabbath is stepping back from the idea that humans actually own or run the world. If we cannot say no and we must say yes, we have taken God off of his throne and put ourselves on it. That's what we've done. I could, never, I could never take my vacation. The company's just going to crumble without me. Right? I, I, could, I could never put down my phone or turn it on airplane mode. What if somebody needs to get a hold of me? And pretty important. Here's, here's what we're saying. God, I believe that you are, are, are at work. Only when I'm at work. Only when I'm at work. Listen to this beautiful invitation. Of the psalmist. Here's what he says in Psalm chapter 46. To read those first two words with me Be still and know that I am God. As if to say, the psalmist is saying, listen, if you keep moving so fast and your pace of life continues to increase, here's what you're going to miss. You're going to miss that God is God and you are not. You're going to walk right past the reality that the good shepherd is at work even when you are asleep. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Hey, even without you and your work, when you're still, I'll be lifted up. I will be exalted in the earth. See, see, here's what the psalmist is saying. That in our stillness, in our rest, in Sabbath, and I'm using the term Sabbath not just as a one-day, 24-hour period, the Shabbat that the Jewish people embrace and practice. I'm not using it in that way. I'm using it simply in a generic term for just a soul rest, a soul rest, where we just stop. Stop. In that Sabbath, in that rest, we are released from the day-to-day and catapulted into God's expansive, eternal universe. We remember, he's God. He's way bigger than us. He's grand, he is eternal, and reflecting on that gives me an awareness of the divine that I have a tendency to miss in my go, go, go text message Siri. make me an appointment, remind me to do this when I walk out the doors of the church. Literally, she can do that, right? Remind me to do this type of world. It's only in the stillness that I realize this world does not revolve around me. It unburdens me from the circumstances that are immediately present in my life. Rest does. And it reminds me that Jesus ultimately is victorious. Read this with me. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Only in rest do we remember Jesus is victorious. Jesus wins the greatest victory and the greatest battle you will ever face. Only in rest do you recognize that. It unburdens us from this feeling of loneliness. Ironically, rest and solitude remind you you are not alone. Listen to what he says. The Lord of hosts is with us. As in, pause, be still, remember he's God, and remember you're not alone. Have you ever been surrounded by a ton of people, been extremely busy, and thought, I'm in this alone. The psalmist, I think, would say, you know why you feel that way? It's because you haven't cultivated a rest of your soul. You're just going, going, going. But when you pause to be still and remember he's God, you also remember the Lord of hosts is with you. Here's my big hurdle. Will you look up at me for a second? Here's my big hurdle for this sort of point. This section is, is actually trusting that when I sleep, God works, that when I push pause, he actually keeps going. That's my big hurdle, and I can only stop and I can only rest if I believe that God continues his work. So snapshot number one of what this looks like in our life is taken from this creation narrative, and we're reminded God is at work Snapshot number two, taken from the Exodus narrative. Okay, so let me catch you up a little bit on the story. God creates, he creates Adam and Eve, he creates them good, he creates them in a garden, he creates them perfect. They sin, they fall. God is going to redeem his creation. He promises this and he starts to work through a family of people. Um, We have the patriarchs first, they're the leaders of this family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob And then we see that the nation of Israel, I'm going to sort of do 500 years of history in less than 30 seconds, is taken into uh, slavery in Egypt. And by God's grace, he frees them and leads them out of slavery. And while they're wandering in the wilderness, he gives them a few commands. You may know them as the Ten Commandments. Listen to the fourth one. This is what God says. This is the the next time we hear about Sabbath after God resting on. On the seventh day of creation. Remember, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep, to keep it holy. Remember, God made it holy, so he's just simply keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So, so here's sort of the rhythm that, that they want to set up in this new community. God only worked for six days. You don't need to work more than God, do you? Like, you're, you're, you don't think you're better than him, do you? Okay, the the rhetorical answer is, no, we don't. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Interesting, that while the nation of Israel is in slavery, they are not given this command. Why? Well, it would have been impossible for slaves to practice this command, would it not? Because a, a slave is essentially um, uh, at the whim of their master. And so no command to rest, no command to pause would ever be given to a slave. Can you think of a slave going to the Egyptians go, or, or one of the Israelites going to the Egyptians and saying, you know what, I got, I got two weeks stored up in the bank and I'm going to take one of my weeks now and I'm going to do a little bit of traveling. We good with that? No slave gets any time off. In commanding the nation of Israel to rest, God is inviting them to intentionally cultivate and dive into the fact that they are no longer slaves, but that they are free people. So here's what we remember as we rest it rest releases us of this burden that we often feel in our crazy world because in it we are able to acknowledge and embrace our freedom as slaves see if this sounds familiar as slaves the nation of israel is evaluated and defined and given a worth based on what they produce that's how slaves are evaluated based on what they produce. So you can't take a break. You can't rest. You can't hit pause if your worth and value is determined by your output, correct? It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. See, here's what rest and Sabbath do, friends. They reclaim for you and I the fact that we are, it reclaims for you and I the fact that we are not human doings but that we are human beings. And every time I say no, I say yes to the fact that I am free. And every time I say I can't make that appointment because my family actually is really valuable to me and I I know you want me to operate on your schedule and I would love to serve you that way, but I have to say no to remember I am not a slave to this place. I, I have to do it. I have to cultivate, and so do you, in your life, in your world, in your context. I would even encourage you saying no to things you typically say yes to, just on a temporary basis to remember, that does not own me. I'm not a slave to my work. I'm not a slave to my production. I am not defined by what I do. I work a job, but my job doesn't work me. There's a big difference. See, but I think there's all sorts of modern day Slavery. I think there's, I I, I was able to identify um, three things that I'm typically a slave to. Meaning that I have a hard time saying no when it comes knocking at my door. I'm a slave to information. I love to know what's going on. I love to know what's going on in our world. I love to know what's going on in people's lives. I love to know what's, I just love to be aware of everything. It may be Facebook for you. It may be Fox News. It's not all that much different, okay? We can both judge each other, right? But when it comes down to it, many of us are slaves to what's going on. I need to be aware. I cannot miss anything. And it gets its hooks into us. I'm a slave to information. I'm a slave to image. What, what's people's perception of me? It may be reflected in the latest diet and the latest workout routine in the idea I could never eat that because I know what it's going to do to me or I cannot miss going on a run today because if I do, I'm going to just start to backslide and it's just going to be not, not, not good for me. Hey, we're hitting a little too close to home now, I can tell. I'm a slave to productivity. I love year-over-year analysis. Love it. I love week-to-week analysis. I I love, like I told you, I love to measure. I love to define. I love to quantify things that are unquantifiable because I want to know. We're moving in a certain direction, and we're getting there. And God, God is at work. What am I really saying? I'm at work. It's interesting. When God breaks the nation of Israel out of slavery, he commands them to take Sabbath years, to um, institute this principle of, of jubilee, to release slaves, to pay off debts. And, and, and here's what he says about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, you shall remember that you were, past time, a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, obey this command today, as in, like, because you're not a slave. Don't live like one. Don't live like one. In contrast, Jesus says, come to me. All you who, what's the word, labor, you who are so busy working, so busy producing, so busy doing, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What a beautiful invitation. See, here's my big hurdle here. My first hurdle was, was trust. We've got to remember that God's at work. I've got to trust that he is. My big hurdle here to um, remember and embrace my freedom is to, to remember and embrace the fact that I am not defined by what I do, but by who I am. If I can't get there, I will never be able to hit pause and receive all the good things that God wants to give me. I can only rest if I'm confident in who I am. When I work, I am what I do. But when I rest, I am who I am. And that's all I am. God loves us in that place. Okay, So, creation narrative, God is at work. Exodus narrative, you are free. One more narrative, new creation narrative. Uh, In the scriptures, many people have made um, an observation, a correct observation, that uh, the command to Sabbath is the only of the Ten Commandments that's not reiterated directly in the New Testament. In fact, it's not only not reiterated, but you see Jesus almost intentionally violating it at every chance he gets. And he even makes up some opportunities, There's things you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, and you go, you could have waited till Sunday to do that. That was not a time-sensitive miracle. It's as though he wanted to say to people, I'm changing the paradigm. It's no longer about taking just a day. It's about uh, embracing a way of life. You see, The command of Sabbath is never reiterated in the New Testament, so you are not under the law of Sabbath. We are not what they call Sabbatarians. We don't have to practice Sabbath. It's way better than that. We get to. We, we get to rest in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the reality is, friend, that every time the Israelites took a break and quote-unquote Sabbathed, it was as though they were putting a signpost up in the ground pointing to a better day, pointing to a better rest, pointing to a new season, when their work would be done, when they could actually pause and realize that all of it is finished. So when Jesus comes along and says, the Sabbath wasn't made for man, but man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man, pointing at himself, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's going, all these days off, and all this rest was really pointing to me. And in the new covenant, Sabbath isn't found in a day, it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. Now, we need to hit pause on the insanity of life in order to recognize that. That's where we get this tension from. But if you're asking, Ryan, after all the benefits you've just told us about Sabbath, are you now saying we don't need to practice it? Yes. You don't. But you get to. Because in Sabbath, we remember that the hardest work is already finished. In rest, we remember that all the toil and all the production and the ladder that we often view that exists between us and God is actually for God to climb down and not for us to climb up. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he says, (laughs) receiving sour wine, it is, what's the word? Okay, it's this word, to Tetelestai, it's like just completely done. The goal has been achieved. The task list completely accomplished. It is all over. He made an end to sin and death. He purchased redemption and made a way back to God. He sought and saved the lost, and he brought in the new creation. So, hey, in rest, we remember, God, there's nothing I can add to your work. There's nothing I can add to your work. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less. There's nothing I can do to please you beyond simply having faith in that it's finished. That's it. That's the entirety of the Christian life. Living under the easy yoke of it is finished. There's this... There was these signs in Nazi concentration camps above the doors. They read, and forgive my German if you speak German, I'm going to butcher this. "Arbeit Mach-Free. Sorry, Mike. It means work makes you free. It was a slogan that concentration camp uh, folks walked under. And it was a burden that they bore. The more I work, I might get out of this place alive. I'm valued by what I produce. I'm defined by what I do. And I think a lot of followers of Jesus live under that same really heavy yoke. See, the rest that Jesus wants to invite you to is far more than just taking a day off, friend. It's a true rest that remembers He has already done it all. I love the way that N.T. Wright puts it when he says this. Justification by faith alone, knowing that Jesus has done it all, is a new radicalization of the ancient Sabbath. I pray that you will rest in it well. See, See, here's the deal. When I'm able to say no and actually rest. When I'm able to say no to burden, it gives me the freedom to say yes to blessing. To hearing that God has already and does right now speak a better word over me. When I'm able to break outside of my thinking that God works when I work, And remember that he does not slumber and sleep, that he is always at work, that he's always on the move. When I'm able to have an awareness of that, my chains start to fall off. When I remember I'm not a slave to what I produce and what I earn and what I'm able to do, that I'm a human being, not a human doing. When I'm able to say no, I actually say yes to blessing. When I remember that God and I are on good terms because of the work of Jesus, not because of what I can do or produce, that he's made me righteous. I stand before his throne holy and spotless and blameless right this second, yes. And so do you, so do you. When you remember that, you're able to stop and just enjoy it and celebrate and sit in it. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna encourage you I read a book uh, a few years ago called Love Does. Uh, And in it, the author Bob Goff says, every Thursday I quit something. (laughs) Every Thursday I look at my calendar and I go, I don't need to do that anymore. And I quit something. I want want to encourage you, quit something this week. Now, if it's your job, talk to your spouse first, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Quit something this week. Maybe... Maybe you quit being a slave to this little device that fits in your pocket. Maybe you quit at least for a day checking your social media. I know information's important and I know you might miss out on something, but I'm pretty sure the world won't end. Maybe you just stop worrying. You intentionally pause and step back from life long enough to say, God, I'm going to be still and remember that you hold this whole thing together and I don't. Stop. Say no. And in doing so, you'll say yes to God's blessing. I want you to watch a video of a friend of mine uh, just a few minutes here and we'll close our time together. But his story, as I heard it this last week, uh, reminded me of uh, where we were going in the scriptures today and, and I just wanted you to see his story. Would you take a look with me? You guys rolled up.
1: My, my name is Eddie Squire. So I'm a, I'm a business consultant and I have had a very high stress uh, job for the last 10 years. I've always been someone that has been pursuing I think what a lot of people are trying to pursue, right? I'm pursuing a job, pursuing my career, and I knew I was getting to a very unhealthy place. of running all the time, but it just seemed like I was always on a treadmill right? trying to get ahead, never getting there. I don't know if you ever question God's promises in your life, but I began to question that, because I just. I didn't see them happening. Hebrews says, there is a rest that is set aside for the people of God, and it says, he that has entered into his rest has ceased from his works, as God did when he finished creating the world. He that has entered into rest has ceased from his works. Be still and know that I am God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things. Will be added. And I didn't see any of that happening. And, uh, I wanted to. So I asked God to do that in my life. My life came to a screeching halt in November of 2013. So I, I picked up a dive tank, a scuba diving tank, and what happened was it popped my bicep tendon off of my elbow. I had surgery done on it, and two months after I had surgery done on it I ended up getting staph infection and it put me out of work for nine months so during that time when I was having to sit at home and all of a sudden I'm stopped dead in my tracks you think a lot I've always wanted to have the will of God in my life I've just how do you get that and I just finally realized that you know, Psalm 23, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. People ask me, how are you doing? I say, I'm, I'm at rest. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's changed my life. You can ask me anytime now. What is the will of God for my life? The will of God for my life is to rest in Him, is to know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's to, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but after his high-paced career of high-end business consulting, and I've been doing all God wants me to do is spend time with Him. He just wants to spend time with me. That's what He wants. God is not looking for the things that we do. (laughs) He's looking for just us.
0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.